I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Barbara. Barbara, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Okay. Um, well, I, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. First of all, um, I've always had a weight problem my whole life, or at least I had it in my head. Put it down for you to make it really easy. That's fine. Okay. And what I found out in this program, it was a living problem not so much a food problem, and that was the symptom of my... When I... Uh, I guess I'm, I'm from New York City, and I moved to San Francisco on an impulse, and uh, I lived there a couple of years. I started back to school in San Francisco, and I had kept putting weight on and losing weight and, and doing that, and so... Uh, here I am at San Francisco State. I started the semester. I was thin. And then they had a six-week break between semesters. And not knowing anything about structuring my time or what to do, um, I just ate. And I went back the next semester, and I put on 30 pounds. So, and, you know, everybody says, well, what happened to you? Well, what happened <laughs> <laughs> is that I was eating. So there was a gal that had tol told me at that time of Overeaters Anonymous, which I had never heard about, and she was going to a meeting that Monday night, and I had a car, and she asked me if we could go together. So I went to that meeting, and she never went back, and I kept coming back the whole time. Um, I listened to everything that was said. Um, I was desperate. I was willing. Um, I got myself a sponsor, a gentleman. Um, he, I, and at that time, uh, there was two food plans, the gray sheet and the orange sheet. And the orange sheet had bread on it. <laughs> so, of course, everybody went on the gray sheet. And it was pretty strict. But see, I needed that. I needed to be told how to eat, what to eat. When I heard that it was three meals a day, I, never, I, I mean, I wasn't raised that way. I mean, I sure I heard of breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but we were sort of always eating. I mean, and that's just the way it was. It, after you finished eating, are you still hungry? I mean, then there was, like, fruit on the table and nuts and before. So, and, but they did have samples, and I followed exactly. I mean, if they say two pieces of chicken, I had two pieces of chicken. And I, I, um, that was a big help to be able to do that. But the three meals a day and nothing in between was extremely difficult, extremely, because I ate all the time. So what I had to do was they said soda, diet soda, coffee, tea, 
you know, um, no sugar gum or something. So I got to the point I was mas- using my MasterCard for gum. <laughs> that was the only way I could abstain. I mean, I had the between the meals, and it was... But you know what? That was my abstinence. And um, it went on that way for a while. Um, and then I lost the abstinence. And then I got another sponsor. And that went on for a while. And then I lost the absence. I got another sponsor. And finally, um, I had this abstinence. And I remember, this part of my story, that I had this food in the house. So I threw it out in the garbage, but in the garbage in the street. you know. And I lived in an apartment in the city. So... It was gone. It was the garbage in the street. But it really wasn't gone because <laughs> it was in my mind. And in the middle of the night, I went down to the garbage in the street. And I, I knew there was something. I mean, there were like bugs and everything there. But I, And then I decided, no, that wasn't that good. I really shouldn't do that. So I got some money. So I went um, on the, the big avenue, I think it was Clement Street at that time, and I knew of one store that was open 24 hours. When I got there, it was open 23. Oh. And it was closed. It was either between 3 or 4 and 4. Yeah, oh, was <laughs> right. Oh, was right. And um, really, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I knew I sh- shouldn't be driving. So I was walking back to my apartment, and I caught a glimpse of myself in the, in the window. And I, what I saw was a junkie. And from my experience and my years living in the city, I knew what a, a drug addict looked like, and that's what I looked like. And I guess from then on, I, I got another sponsor, um, and so the abstinence I had, the abstinent date that I had from them then is what I have now, and that was October 2nd, 1977. So if, you know, everything, I would be coming up on three, 30 years, you know, one day at a time. It's not me, believe me. It's a miracle. And I also remember during that period, um, I was a heavy smoker. And I met somebody in these rooms who was stopping smoking. And he said, call me, and I will help you with that. Cause he's, so I did the same thing. So I stopped smoking also. I mean, I, I lost my absence if I stopped smoking. But eventually, that was the same method. So here I am, got my degree from San Francisco State, and I got accepted to graduate school at USC, and that was the school I wanted to go to. And I remember um, I had just done my fourth step, and my sponsor said, because uh, I was driving down to Los Angeles, and he said, how do you know that you're going to make it? And I said, I guess I have faith. And that was I, over a year in the program, not of abstinence. So... Um, I know I spent some time um, in the beginning. I went to some retreats. I went to a lot of meetings in Los Angeles, I guess the Crescent Heights, the um, National, what was that, 
not Culver City, but the, the national, the Wednesday Palms, the Palms, went to Chef's Deli. <laughs> and boy, did I put on weight because I would eat, that's all I knew, I would eat my meals there. So I would have to get these chef salad with the Thousand Island dressing. I figured I'm abstaining. But it, it was too much food for me. But I was abstaining and gaining weight. So anyway, I, I figured that out finally. And I remember many times um, I would either, I would get to, I'd come to a meeting late or I'd, I'd get to a meeting early and I had to leave. And, and um, I had a sponsor at that time who was very spiritual and very sweet. And whatever I did, like if I, there was this big meeting that I used to go to Bill Bluestein's meeting. And most of the time I'd get there after he gave his big spiel. And so I would always, oh, she goes, oh, the pictures are the best part, you know. And if I had to leave early, she would, she would be so reassuring, oh, you know, you got here, that's great, you know, you know, you got to do your work. So it was sort of that, that um, validation and, uh, and just saying, this is good, this is good, you know, more of a positive. And I grew up, um, it was more of a negative focus on things. My mother was very fearful, extremely fearful, and she died when I, while I was a teenager. But a lot of those fears were instilled, and actually I had decided well, I was going to be very different from her. And I, I am, and I, I have been. And then I had a situation happen a few years ago, and I think some of those early fear, fears ideas were triggered um, again. But... So anyway, um, I'm here in Los Angeles, and um, I got my degree. And I, in the program, I have to say that I really learned a lot about relationships, which I really didn't know that much about. Um, I learned from sponsor, sponsee, um, having close women friends. I learned about intimate relationships. And I met someone, and, and we got married, and that was, and then I, um, I had my first child, and I remember saying, when I was abstaining, that, okay, I'll be able to abstain as long as I don't get married, and I'm living with someone. <laughs> so then that blew that wide open, it, so I had to accommodate the meals for both of us. And then I said, okay, I'll be able to abstain as long as I don't have children. Then I have, and now I have two children. So um, that, that was good, but it's not good enough. It's not really an excuse not to be abstaining. You know, and I was thinking before I came here about some of the things early on that kind of impacted me and, and helped me with my foundation. And um, I, in terms of literature, there is this green thing. Do people know this? Before you take the first compulsive bite. I had this on me at all times. I read it all the time. I got it sort of 
I want to say brainwashed, but that's what I needed to. And I want to read some of this because this is was a big help. A lot of other literature, a lot of other pamphlets, but that's something that I could um, use on a daily basis. Okay, I'm going to read some of this. Your commitment to abstinence from compulsive eating is the most important thing in your life without exception. You may believe other things come first, but if you do not abstain from compulsive reading and practice moderation at meals, you may destroy your chances of finding health, happiness, self-understanding, and peace of mind. If you are convinced that everything in life depends upon your practice of abstinence, you almost certainly will achieve these goals. If you are confronted with the urge to eat, consider the following points before you take that first compulsive bite. One, cultivate continued acceptance of the fact that your choice is between unhappy eating binges and doing without just one small compulsive bite. Cultivate humble gratitude that you were fortunate enough to find out what was wrong with you before it was too late. Accept as natural that for a period of time, and it can be a long one, (laughs) you may recurringly experience the conscious nagging and craving for something to eat between meals, the sudden overwhelming impulse just to take one bite, the craving not for food as such, but for the soothing glow and comfort just a bite or two once gave you. As disturbing as these feelings are, they do not have to be acted upon. I never knew that. I never knew that I had a choice. Remember, each time you face a situation without compulsively overeating will make make it easier for the next time. Develop and rehearse a daily plan of thinking and acting by which you will leave, live that day without taking the impulsive regardless of what may upset you or how hard the older urge for a little taste may hit you. Don't for a split second allow yourself to think, isn't it a pity or a mean injustice that I can't take a snack like so-called normal people? Don't allow yourself to either think or talk about any real or imagined pleasures you once did get from certain foods. (coughs) Don't permit yourself to think a bite or two would make some bad situation better or at least easier to live with. Substitute the thought, one bite will make it worse. One bite may eventually mean a binge. Minimize your situation instead of maximizing your situation. Consider the the courage of others who have overcome or accepted great adversity in their lives. Think gratefully how fortunate you are to have a disease that can be arrested one day at a time simply by not taking that first compulsive bite. Cultivate enjoyment of abstinence from compulsive overeating. How good it is to be free of guilt, remorse, and self-condemnation. How good it is to be free of fear of the consequences of a bitch just ended or of a coming bitch you have never before been able to prevent. How good it is to be free of the fear of what people have been thinking and whispering about you. 
free of their mingled pity and contempt. How good it is to be free of fear of yourself. Catalog and recatalog the positive enjoyment of absence from compulsive overeating, such as the simple ability to eat and sleep normally and wake up glad you're alive, glad you abstained yesterday, and glad you have the privilege of abstaining today. The ability to face whatever life may dish out with peace of mind, self-respect, and the full possession of all your faculties. Cultivate a helpful association of ideas. Associate that first compulsive bite with all the misery, shame, and remorse you have ever known. Associate that first compulsive bite with the destruction of your newfound happiness and the loss of your self-respect and peace of mind. Cultivate gratitude. Gratitude that so much can be yours for such a small price. Gratitude that you can trade just one bite for all the happiness, abstinence, from compulsive eating gives you. Gratitude that OA exists and you found it in time. Gratitude that you're only a victim of Ill, an illness called compulsive overeating. You're not a weak-wheeled glutton or a person of doubtful reasoning power. Gratitude. Gratitude that, as other than before, you have discovered in time you will not want to miss the excess food. And it says, seek out ways to help other overeaters. And remember, the first way to help others is to practice abstinence from compulsive eating yourself. Don't forget that when the heart is heavy and resistance is low and the mind is troubled and confused, there is so much comfort in a true and an understanding friend standing by. You have that friend in Overeaters Anonymous. That was great. I mean, I didn't know that other people had those same <coughs> urges and feelings. Um, so I think this was part of my foundation with other, let, other let, literature. You know, and you always hear, willing to go to any lengths. And I would always feel that I'm willing to go to any lengths, but my, oh, you know, any lengths maybe go across the street, you know, <laughs> not across town, um, make one phone call in a week. I mean, whatever it is. Um, let's see, there's so much, there's so much that I've learned in this program. One thing that I have definitely learned is about expectations and um, what the things that I can do. And I know I can change my expectations and situations. And actually, for myself, I have very low expectations. And that is good because I'm not, I, I am doing more things now than I ever did because I don't expect you know, to be number one, first, the best. The fact that I'm just showing up and giving it a try, I think is major. But if you don't take that first step, if you don't become willing to take that first step, then, you know, all the great things that follow will never happen. Um, I have worked the steps on a regular and continuous basis. Um, I love, particularly myself, I like the 12 and 12. 
and they read that pretty regularly and frequently, and I get a lot of strength from that. Um, I've learned, I love the 11th step, about it's better to understand than be understood, to comfort than comfort, to love to love than be loved. I never knew that. I mean, I never knew that it's better to do the other thing. I mean, it was all about what you would do for me or what was best for me. And this was a whole um, different way of looking at things. Um, and it also gave me a lot of strength that, and a lot of courage to be able to try these different things. And then the, the whole idea with the sponsors to point things out. And most importantly for me was my higher power. I remember early on when I was studying, and I'm really not that much of a student. I mean, it's not that I enjoy going to class and the learning and everything. But um, just like anything else, I had to take the first step. And it was writing papers. It was one word at a time, um, one class at a time, one book at a time. And it's, I think it's all about practicing these principles in all our affairs. Um, I transferred everything that I use with the food to the rest of my life. And that helps to give me sort of the, the peace of mind and serenity. I tried a lot of different things in this program. I meditated for a number of years. Um, that really worked. That really helped me. I don't do that today. Um, you know, I may start that again. I don't know. Um, so um, another thing I want to talk about is relationships in this program. Um, being married and a compulsive overeater, I really had to learn to work my program at that time. And having children and having ice cream in the house and candy and all that stuff. What I learned is that it's not my food. And I have no problem with that anymore. I mean, I buy stuff for them that I would never think of eating. Um, I don't have sugar in my abstinence. I mean, it, if I had it, some, if something had a little sugar in it, I would freak out. Um, in the beginning, I was very uh, strict with my food, weighing and measuring. Um, but over the years, I am not that way. And actually, for me, it's a good thing because I became very rigid. I was very rigid before, and the, having a rigid food plan just uh, fit right in. You know. <laughs> but it's not good in relationships to be really rigid. And so that change in my food had helped me, too. Um, I do, there was this sponsorship workshop earlier that I was at. And I do have bread in my, you know, I do have sandwiches. I do have bagels. Um, but I have, like, one, one bagel in the morning. I mean, I may have an occasional sandwich. It's not, you know, so far I can do that. And... But, I, you know, I'm open if I have any problems. Um, I used to write my food down. I don't do that now. But periodically I have. 
and, you know, to get myself back on track. Um, the spiritual part of the program is really important to me. I mentioned that I did meditate. I don't do that now, but I do really pray for strength a lot of times. Um, I'm Jewish, and I'm able to transfer that to my religion sometimes, sometimes not. Um, I don't have a specific definition of my higher power, but that's what I call on. And the other new thing for me is asking for his will. <laughs> that was like, what a concept. <laughs> and even taking that a step further, accepting that. That it's not the way I want it. It's not in my time. I just look back over my life and how things have worked out not the way that I w would have chosen it, the, way, the manner, but it did work out in some way. Um, six years ago, I was my, my family and me, I, we were in an automobile accident. And my husband didn't survive. And, it, and my son, who was 16 at the time, was critically injured. He was in the ICU. We were in Arizona. He was in the ICU. They had to medicate him <coughs> to keep him still for his neck. He was in there for a month. <coughs> my daughter was not really injured. She's younger. She was nine. And my left arm, my arms were pretty messed up. And, well, I just was numb, <laughs> really, with the whole thing. But what happened, well, when I woke up, uh, I got to see my brother, who, who lives out of town, my two brother-in-laws, my cousin, my father, and my rabbi. So I knew it wasn't, it wasn't good. And... <coughs> I'm kind of afraid of heights. So they decided to airlift my son, and of course I had to go with him, to Los Angeles. I guess it's called a mercy flight. So it's this little plane. So my son, a nurse, and a, I guess a paramedic were sitting in the back seat. The pilot and then it was me. And you're just like right there. You know, you're right there. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I could say, I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't go. <laughs> Which I knew, I discounted. Or I just have to trust, get on the plane, get this, and that's what I did. Um, and from that moment, I knew that Whatever I had to do, you know, and I would get the strength that it wasn't about me, it wasn't about what I wanted, um, I would just have to do what had to be done. And um, I guess I caught myself, cut myself all little, but anyway, that's 
what has happened. And I've, I've gotten the strength, I guess, to, to go on, to keep beginning again. Um, I was out of work for about five months, and I got a, a telegram from my job saying, don't worry about your job. I was not worried about my job. <laughs> but don't worry about your job. We're, you know, come back when you can. Now, in retrospect, that was a really great thing. I mean, a lot of things. I still had my husband's insurance, but the insurance and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, eating had crossed my mind. And when I was in the hospital myself, you know, I loved planning my meals. And then I had a snack at night, and I really, that was my main thing. But I, what I do know is that eating is not going to change the situation. It's not going to bring my husband back, although every day I think of him and I wish he would come back. Two teenagers was not what I had in mind. Um, I miss him. Uh, but anyway, uh, I just keep moving forward. And I guess um, having this program has really helped. Um, I, a lot of times I feel very alone, um, but I know I don't have to. You know, I can just, you know, tap into um, a higher power, everybody here. Um, I think a couple of people sent me big books and all that stuff when I was um, out of state. So, yeah, things um, don't work out the way I want. But you know what? I have been able to turn it around. My son's recovered. I mean, he is a miracle. He's a miracle. He still has a little bit residual that he's working through and working on. But, um, you know, you would never know he was in an accident, except he'll tell you. <laughs> Um, so I guess, um, it, you know, it all, all starts, I mean, I don't want to say it all starts with the food, but it, 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 it helps, I, I heard, um, three meals a day and living in between, and I never knew that either. I mean, I, I don't consider myself a fun person or anything like that. My husband was the fun one. And I'm still not a fun person, I think. I mean, I can be funny, but um, I'm, and I'm really working on that. I'm tra taking some classes. Uh, and just for myself, you know, trying to try different things. I I'm actually am doing a lot of different things. I had a boyfriend for about a year and a half, and I mean, a great guy. Another, my my husband's a great guy. Another great guy, and um, he wanted to get married early on. And I feel that you have to know somebody for a year before you can make that kind of. I mean, that's. And then also, I have two kids living at home. I mean, my son now is 22, my daughter's 15, but I. You know, it's just not that kind of situation that if I was by myself, I have to take that in consideration. 
anyway, it didn't work out. Um, he decided this wasn't what he wanted eventually. And it's been hard. It's been another, another loss. Um, but anyway, it's all these cliches and things that I've learned are early on. It's one day at a time. Um, I try to cultivate gratitude. Um, I even has some positive affirmations to overcome negative thinking. I'm able to reframe things for myself and other people to look on at the glass as being half full, not half full. I would never have done that on my own. Never. I mean, what is good about a situation? You can always see all the bad. But um, I remember, I think it was Richie, he was leading a retreat, and he said, you know, half the people in this room are going to think it's too hot. <laughs> half the people are going to think it's too cold. So he says, I'm going to be in the half that's happy. <laughs> and I thought, well, I, you know, if you have the choice, there's a lot of things I, as I found, and you know, that you don't have a choice in your life. But you can look for things where you have a choice. And, and if you want it to be positive or negative, you know, how you live your life. Um, well, anyway, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be a member of this fellowship. Um, I'm kind of working on, as a side thing, is about secrets. Um, it's not secrets so much, but my family was kind of not very forthcoming about information. You know, you wouldn't tell the children anything, really. But what I found is then if you don't know, then you just fill in the blanks with some stuff. And I found that I've carried that through my life. And um, I don't share a lot. So I'm really working on that and seeing what's that about. It's not like an intentional secret. Um, I'm going to do some writing on it so I can be a little more open. That was something my boyfriend had mentioned to me, too. And I always seem to be with somebody that is very talkative, you know, like my husband, and over and takes, and I can be quiet. Actually, my son is like that. I mean, he talks, talks, talks. And so it's okay for me to be quiet and not say much, but I'd like to work on that. And I know just like anything else in the program, um, I can do it one day at a time, trying something new, working through the fear, um, I've, you know, been doing a lot of swimming and, and things on the water and things that I would never thought that I would do, taking a, a risk. Um, so I learned it can be okay here. Um, thank you. Sure, I wanted to, I'm sorry, I didn't, five minutes, I did less than that, okay. Anyone have any question? Okay. Len, my my friend. <laughs> Barb, when you had your uh, family tragedy, et cetera, did you 
Yes, I did. And what I did is I read this book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, and that really helped me a lot. And I reread it. And then I've, a couple of other things, there's a book by another, a woman rabbi, um, To Begin Again, and she also had a tragedy, and um, I read that. So, yeah, I, it's, it makes no sense. I don't think it's something that um, God wanted to do. I mean, it, it's just a, a random act that things get set in motion. Yeah, I, yeah. But, I, I mean, I'm still working. I still, there's some positives. Yeah, but no, I was not happy. <laughs> I was not happy. And I was not happy with God. Okay. You talked about the affirmations you use to change your negative thinking and seeing the, the cup half full instead of half empty. Could you talk a little bit more about that, how you make that choice? Well, one sponsor that I had put it very simply. Whatever you're thinking, I want you to think the exact opposite. <laughs> there was no room for interpretation with that. So when I'm in doubt, that's what I do. <laughs> Uh, well, she got one more. Okay. Um, I'm curious how the pregnancy went with, you know, the thing Okay. I put on a lot of weight. I followed the pregnancy diet, which was a lot more food than I was used to eating. And uh, I put on weight. I mean, I didn't think I wasn't abstaining. I was following this print. And it took me well over a year to lose that weight. And I remember going to meetings, thinking, and then finally saying, you know, God, I know, has helped me in the past, but this time it's different. You know, I'm not going to lose the weight. And I would keep... And then, somehow, I did. But I followed a, a structured pregnancy diet, so I felt I was... Okay, all right. Okay.